Well, welcome back. This is the Morning Brushback episode 52. We are here live once again after three pre-recorded episodes, which were pretty good quality, I think. Bob, how would you rate the pre-recorded non-live quality? I mean, better than anything I've ever done on the podcast. Plus, we had good guests. We had good we guests. Had good ge- we had really good guests, so that was that made up, that made up for, uh, for whatever lack of quality we might have had. If we had just recorded you and I, it would have been trash. It would have been just a trash week and a half. But nobody carry carry the load. Ryan Copeland and Liam Bowen from my alma mater. So yeah, we had two pitching guys to join to my my extensive pitching knowledge on the on the show. Well, we need to balance it out. We had so much hitting garbage for forever. Just old men yelling at clouds. So it now was we're back. Glorious, glorious hitting talk. I'm all for the pitching stuff. I've got five, I think, what do I have? Five and two thirds innings on the mound professionally. I'm in there. I'm in the, I'm in the position, position player pitching hall of fame. Well, that's just simply not true. So today in our, in our, in our episode today, we're going to go over unwritten rules in baseball, including do you swing three Oh, when you have a little bit of a lead, a la Fernando Tatis jr. Stealing with the big lead. Taking the extra base, such as a pass ball with a uh, big lead. Bunting on a no-no. Um, rowing at hitters, what's the right and wrong way to do it? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about some home run stuff. And then an amateur baseball-specific one, the time clock. So should you have a mound visit when there's like seven minutes left to the go in the game? People get pretty heated about that stuff. So uh, we'll also talk a little bit about um, – Bob, you had some stuff about seeing pitches – how important it is to see a lot of pitches in a, in a bat, stuff like that. So we'll cover that as well. But let's start off with Fernando Tatis since we were away for this big news. But swing 3-0, I commented a little, little bit about this on Twitter. What's your take on Tatis swinging 3-0? Loved it. Loved every second of it. First of all, it's bases loaded. So you don't. there's no reason not to swing. I have not actually heard that uh, unwritten rule like specifically as far as not swinging 3-0. Uh, I mean, I, I guess it's a, speci- a specific scenario where the, where the bases are loaded. So it's not like there's anywhere to put the guy. Um, but no, I mean, swing 3-0. Like the, all the at-bats count. If he strikes out after getting the 3-0, like that strikeout still counts. Yeah, I think I'm all made- for it. I think in, ma- in the major leagues, almost everyone came to his defense. I'm not sure there were many people on social media or anywhere else. Not that social media is the, the high court here, but I didn't see anyone be like, yeah, what a jerk. That was so modern baseball. Like, well, who got base. mad at no, him? Like, no one said that. Was it, the, was it the manager of the other team that got real pissed I off heard, at it? I heard it was both managers. So, Well, his manager I, I saw didn't stick up for him. I mean, that's – no. If you're, Tat- if you're Tatis, I mean, that's it right there, right? Like, you're not going to stick up for me after I'm winning you ball games. I'm, I'm saving your job in a, in a city that never wins. I'm, the, I'm arguably the MVP front runner, and you're not going to defend me or at least stick up for yeah. me a little bit. Yeah. He like, he's going to – he lost the locker room right there, I think. Like, you have – especially with big personalities like Tatis and Machado in that locker room, like, they run the show there. This manager, I don't even know what the manager's name is, but he is not the he. They're not taking his personality on the field like they're taking those two guys. So if you lose those two guys, you might as well pack your bags and leave. Well, I don't think anyone even knows. Does anyone even know who the Padres or or care who the Padres manager is? He's just like Johnny no, Pencil, that's, Johnny Pencil Pusher. Like who cares? Well, that's the well, point. It's, it's like not Tony. It's not Tony Larusa. Yeah. No, you want to keep that job. It's like you and you're not going to back your best, your MVP candidate. When he didn't even, re- I mean, I could see if he like threw well, at somebody's head. If he threw at somebody's head, or if he's a pitcher throws at somebody's head, hits him in the helmet, you could say, "Look, we're not trying to, we're not trying to hurt anybody." Blah blah blah. This kid swings at a three zero pitch that you lay in there. Like, screw it, I'm gonna hit it five hundred feet. Well, and what was weird was it was only ten to three. It's not like the game is completely out of hand. Like a like a two run jack by the other team the next inning, it's ten to five. That's like a not a, it's not a laugher anymore. And seven runs is like whatever. But also that pitch was not center cut. It was like outer third and like down. Like you could see. It's a nice I mean, swing. 
I mean, yeah, it was not easy to hit for him. To, I mean, he knew a fastball was coming, obviously. But beyond that, it wasn't like, again, belt high right down the middle. It was on the outer third. And if it's like one, two count, that might be a ground ball double play. Right. Like, and he had to go up a taco on it. You know, he what's, didn't even like, I mean, pull it. He didn't even pull it. It's weird. What's the, like, what's the narrative? What's the narrative if he, if he pops out? Is everyone still pissed off at him? Or is everyone they, saying, oh, he's an idiot for a swing and 3 0? Like, yeah, no, they, who cares? He's dumb. Yeah, it's his risk. He's cares. dumb. Yeah. Well, and that's he the other thing. With, with a 3 0 pitch, the outcome is not certain. Like, it's not like stealing third with a 10 run lead. Where they're just like, we know you're not going to throw, and I'm just going to get third base for free. 3-0 pitches, like the outcome is not certain at all. It's probably a 60% chance he mashes it because he's a major leaguer and he knows a fastball's coming. You know, like, but at the same time, that's not a certain outcome. He could just miss it and fly out. He hit a scorcher right to center fielder. Yeah, if you're mad about it, then put him on first base. Like the dude's the dude's the best hitter in the National League right now. If you're not, oh. if you're afraid that he's going to swing, or you're afraid that he might do some damage against your pitch, then put him on base. Like whatever. That's that's um, that's far down the list of quote unquote unwritten rules. Yeah. If there if there are if that is one, I mean, I'm not. Again, I never swung three zero. Like I I've never in my career swung three zero, but I also wasn't up there like putting balls, you know, oppo off the scoreboard three zero. So. I'm better off on first base stealing second than I am trying to hit a, you know, an opposite field bomb three Oh, but that's me well, personally. So I would never swing three Oh, but whatever you want him to take then give him the take sign manager. Well, I like, don't, what the hell? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like the unwritten rule isn't really towards the other team. Like I, like I grew up with thinking three Oh is just like an automatic take because you want to walk and get the free base. It has nothing to do with the other team. It was never about showing up the other team. It was just about the fact yeah. that, I mean, take your chances walking here and then swing it, swing it three, one. But yeah, cause it's risky. Like it's a, it's a strange move when you're that far ahead, when you have a pretty high likelihood of getting your free base, then just like take a cut. But where, so where I would say that this would be disrespectful is if it's a really mismatched youth game. Because I've seen this before. You've, you've probably been in this too, where you play like, you know, you have a 14U team and your team's tiny and you're just getting mashed by a team that's really big for their age, whatever it is, right? It's like a 10 to one in the third inning and your pitcher's right. struggling to throw strikes and he's just throwing grenades up there and it's three and oh, and the dude just hits a wiffle ball home run. It's like, come on, yeah, dude, come come on, on dude. Like yeah. you're swinging out of your shoes. Like when the swings when the swings change and it's like, I'm playing wiffle ball against your team now because we're so much better than you. That's one. It gets a little, yeah. But even then you don't stop. Playing. I think it, I don't know. I think that's, it changes that's what feels different. I think it changes even a little bit if the bases aren't loaded. Like if you walk him, he still gets an RBI. Yeah. So like, why not swing plus money in baseball? Like you can't, yeah, I, I saw this argument a few times from from guys, and they're like, "Look, one home run and four RBIs. Like, if he's in a shortened season, like this dude's putting up numbers, he's going to get paid exponentially more. Mm-hmm. Like his arbit- even his arbitration years are going to are going to be affected by. I know it's not one home run and four RBIs isn't going to make your arbitration year, but it's not hurting his his argument. So no, swing away, dude. You don't want him yeah. to hit it. Walk him like." Or yeah. throw a strike. If it was a 3-1 count, no one's arguing. Like, we're mad that the pitcher sucked so bad in the first three pitches that this guy decided to swing. Like, he was ready to swing the first three pitches. Maybe they should have given him something better to hit or made a better pitch in the first three. Agree. So, let's, like, go, it's to not like this, yeah. let's go to stealing. So, when you have a big lead, when should you shut down the running game? Or should you ever? Let's start, uh, with, let's start with Major League Baseball first. Because it's different than so, baseball. Yeah, it's definitely different. I mean, once you get past probably – once you get past being up more than there are innings left, if that makes sense. So if you're in the fifth and you're up six runs or seven runs, I don't know. There's not really an exact science, I think. No, once you get to the – Because it could be the eighth inning and there's one inning left and you're up two, obviously. Yeah, that's a bad yeah. – yeah. I'm just – I'm trying to think of it's probably number. It's probably six runs if it's like the eighth or ninth. And it's probably like eight runs if it's in the middle of the game. If you're up by more than once, yeah, if you're up by more than one swing of the bat, seven, eight runs. I mean, again, it's like use, it's like by discretion, right? If the scores, 
15 to eight in the sixth, like, yeah, you're probably still playing the game because everybody's swinging the bats really well. Yeah. If the score is 10 to nothing in the fifth, then you're probably, okay, let's calm it down. But it, yeah. I think it depends on the score. I mean, there are unwritten rules. Like, you're not trying to embarrass the other team by, by taking extra bases on a ball. You know, that's a questionable maybe, like, double or triple. Like, you get your stand-up double, just take it. You get your, you know, your routine base hit, you keep it. You're not trying to take extra bases. But, again, playing hard, like, it's hard to tell a guy not to play hard because the guy's still trying to get you out. Like, that's the whole thing is hitting is so hard. It's tough to tell you guys, like, okay, take a pitch or guys that make their money stealing bases, like, hey, don't steal a base even though this guy's a 1-9 to home plate. But I, I agree that, like, the unwritten rule is, if you're up by so many runs later, later in the game, six inning on, you just you don't take the extra base. You tone down your aggressiveness. You score on balls you're sports, supposed to score on. You take the bases you're supposed to get, and then that's it. Yeah, and I think that's fine. Like you said, I don't think you stop playing. I mean, if, if you're a guy that could make a double, a triple, like if you're a Billy Hamilton, you win a gap, I think you still take your triple. I don't think you just pull up necessarily, but you can for sure. Right. Yeah, you don't stop playing the game because that's insulting too. Like the whole – so let's go to youth baseball. Uh, when do you shut down the, the, the running game at youth baseball? Uh, you, when you're uh, – I mean, it, it's almost like you have to gauge the other team. Like you said, if you're playing a team that's just – you're just overmatching them, like just go base to base. I think once – because there is a run limit, so it's usually like – 15 after three, 12 runs after four, 10 runs after five, something similar to that, 12, 10, eight. So if you're close to that, or if you're definitely, if you're past the run rule, you stop running completely. Like if you're already past the run rule, stop running. Now, the one thing I do, I do understand when coaches are like, look, we're trying to get to the run rule to save pitching because it's not, if it was just like a league game, then you stop running. If you're in a tournament where some of these tournaments will run seven, eight games to win it, I yeah. get trying to shorten the game and you, and you can't argue with the coach trying to do that because you just can't carry enough pitchers to get through seven, seven inning games in a three day span. Like you just don't have enough bodies. So if you can shorten a game to five, four or five innings here or there, you probably do it. I don't have an issue with teams doing it. I have an issue with teams that are like stealing third, like taking home when they're already up 15, 16, 17 runs on you, which happens a lot in youth games because defense is just not played very well. Yeah. And if it's, if the other team just like can't block the ball and the ball just keeps going to the, to the backstop, you feel like you should take the base because that's the way the game's played. But then again, you're like, uh, let's just stay put after a while. I don't know. You stop it, them it at third messy. usually. Stop them, stop the kids at third base. Like, if the ball gets passed, like, okay, we're stay here. Yeah. Like, make, drive make them, them in. Bat the ball in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's been situations where we've been winning. Like, we've been winning by a lot where I'll tell guys, like, hey, you know, we're taking, we're taking, we're either taking a pitch or like, you know, sometimes, I mean, I remember being in a game where it's like they're struggling so bad on the other team. Like, look, we're not swinging. Like, if he strikes you out, he strikes you out. We won't count the stats. Okay, we're just trying not to, like, you know you're going to hit the ball 500 feet off this kid. Like, he doesn't even look like he's pitched before. Let's just let him strike you out, whatever. And that, to me, that feels, like, disrespectful towards the game, but you're trying to not embarrass, like, the other team as well because they are kids in a college game or something. I would never suggest doing that. Yeah, but there's instances where that's happened. It just sucks when the game completely breaks down. I don't mind a team getting embarrassed. Like, if you don't like getting embarrassed, then, I don't know, take that feeling home in your pocket and change something up or quit. Like, I don't, I don't think we need to I – don't, I don't want to protect self-esteem. But when the game just gets out of hand and messy, like, base-to-base is fine. Um, but, yeah, the whole, like, I don't know, not embarrassing thing is kind of iffy for me. I think sometimes you need those. Look, look, this is where where we are. This is where we are. Like, that hurts. Some of the unwritten unwritten youth rules that that set me off are like the 3-0 fake bunt. That's annoying. That sets me me off big time. Or or like the – Well, let's talk about the time time limits. Because that was a good point you brought up, which is the – 
A, you have to consider not just winning this game, but winning the tournament more is like the overarching thing. So when you, you're talking about, yeah, we're going to steal up nine runs because we want to get to the 10 run rule or 12 run rule or whatever. And in this game, so we can save our pitching. That's a move that makes sense given the whole scope of the tournament. It doesn't make right. sense given the scope of just one game. So you do have to think of it more of that way. If you only think of it as far as this one game in a tournament, you're just not playing the strategy correctly. So you're right there that stealing up 10 runs in a tournament where it potentially shortens the game, saves you pitching. Unfortunately, that is okay. Like it just, it's, it's fine because you have to, again, you're trying to win the tournament, not just the single game. Um, and the time, let's, let's talk about the time limits because a lot of these tournaments have t- pretty much all of them have time limits. It's, you know, whether it's hour 45 or two hours, 2.15. When it gets close, do you forego mound visits if you're winning or do you not? I mean, it's all about the timing of the mound visit, right? Like, has a guy been out there for a while and you need to, you need to go out there to give him a breather? Or do you, did you ask the umpire how much time we have left before we can start a new inning? And he says, you know, five minutes. I mean, you, a lot of times umpires will be good. Like if it's right on the cusp and it's a close game, they're like, all right, we'll run another one because like that was a quick inning. But obviously like if the innings are taken long and you're just out there stalling, like you go take the mound visit and you make the umpire come and get you and you said nothing. And then you wait one pitch and then go take the guy out and replace him with a new pitcher. Like there probably, there are starting to be some rules about mound visits. And I think if we're in a time limit inning, maybe they should implement like, look, a mound visit is, a, is you pull them. Like, that's it. No talking. You're, if you're going to go, you got to pull them. Yeah, see, I disagree with that because I still will have a mound visit if it's necessary. So if we're up, like, we, this is a situation we were in last summer. We were up two to one in like the seventh. And it was definitely like, this is going to be the last half inning. And they did just like axe innings. But we got a runner on and it was like the tying run on base. And there was like some legit strategy stuff that I need to talk to our pitcher about. Like how to approach this pitcher. This is a critical moment in the game. I'm taking a mound visit and I'm going to talk to my guy and I'm going to explain this is a situation. This is how we're going to hopefully prevent that tying run from scoring. I'm not not having that visit yeah. just because, you know, some coach is going to, and the guy, other coach did complain about it to me. He's like, I don't care. This was a, a, a legit part of the game. This is. There needs the to game. be some kind of. Game. There needs to be some. There needs to be a different rule. It can't just be like a no new inning after an hour forty five. There needs to be like okay, once we start the fifth, like if we're close, they say okay, this is the last inning. Like it can't they do that be in some, not all, not all. Yeah, it, it can't be where you get to the bottom of the fifth and they're like, well, if we finish this inning in less than seven minutes, we'll play another one. Like because then because then you're going to get guys that stall and they probably should stall. Like that's a good strategy, honestly. If you have to waste seven minutes, it's a it's a Bush league strategy, but it's still a strategy. Like we've been, we're talking strategy about, you know, like you said, it's a big moment in the game. Well, like a big moment in the game might be, I don't want to waste my, this kid to close an inning when he could start the championship game for me. So I'm just going to stall. So I think there needs to be some more, there yeah, needs to be not more part control. Of like real baseball though. That's the problem. Like baseball is not only well, there are sport. time limits though. That's what, yeah. that's the whole point, right? It's like, there is no time limit on normal baseball. So if you're going to implement it, then there needs to be rules. So guys can't manipulate it like stalling, like passing the basketball around the court when there's no shot clock. It's like, Oh, we're going to waste four minutes of a quarter just passing because the other team's going to run it down our throat. Like there needs to be, there needs to be a different set of rules for games that are timed. I think. Well, I think the umpire just needs to go out, just follow the guy out there. And if he's actually talking to his pitcher, Great. If he's just BSing, then guys say, hey, visit's over. Get back to your dugout. Yeah. If he came out during my visit, we were having a legitimate conversation about what to throw this, this hitter. He comes out to another one. The coach is just like, well, you know, like you can tell they're just not saying anything relevant. And the other thing about youth sports is almost no coaches actually have legitimate mound visits, so, which is really bizarre because there are definitely guys that used to play baseball who coach these mm-hmm. teams. And yet I see almost no strategy visits. I was not to toot my own horn. I was one of the very few who actually took visits that weren't just like our pitchers throwing 40 pitches this inning. They were just like, nothing's necessarily wrong, but it's like second and third, two outs and a pretty decent hitters coming up. And I want to talk to him about how important it is to keep those runs from scoring and how we can do that, even though it's not a critical point in the game. Like that's a real thing. 
And no one, no or, one has a business like that. No one has a business like that. Like, hey, let's just to remind you, since it's second and third and two outs in the third inning, this is really important to strand these two guys. So we got to be really careful about not getting up a single. You have a base open. Maybe we start him off with something that's not your fastball. What is that going to be? Okay, maybe your changeup. And then if you miss, what are we going to come back with? Just having a conversation like that where they can say, okay, this is how we're going to pitch. I'm just not going to try to get ahead with a fastball like I might normally. You have to, re- you have to remind kids of the situation. And those are pivotal because if you give those two runs on a silly pitch call in the third inning, they can come back to be the difference maker later on, you know? I got the solution. Okay. Clock stops on all mound visits. Boom. Done. Game clock stops on all mound visits. I mean, that's fine. I agree. That seems fine. Give the coach. Like uh, like soccer. Like kick the ball. Kick the ball out of bounds. Nope. Clock stops. We got injury Stop time. It. Stoppage time. Yeah, I think that's Yeah, we got injury time. We turn we just turned we just solved all youth baseball problems. Or every home plate umpire gets a like a rabid raccoon and he just brings that with him. You're not talking to your pitcher. No, helper it, dog. Let's it, let's it go. Let's it go. Uh, how about helper bunning dog. how about bunning on a no no? How do you feel about that? Absolutely not. Yeah, I think unless I think no, no no no, I take that back. I take that back. I take that back. If if it is a one run game, it's okay. If it's a one run, if it's one nothing in the seventh, and you're Billy Hamilton, it's it's okay to to bunt to get on base. So if it's because close that's enough a where game. you could win it. Okay. If it's, I think it's got to be a one run game. I think even two runs, you got to swing the bat out of respect for the pitcher. You got to swing the bat because he's you know you play the, actually play the baseball game. But a one run game, I mean, if you're on base, then anything can happen. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's where the line in the sand is. If it's five to nothing. So my last year with the Orioles, it was it was the top of the ninth. We're playing the Braves. This is actually a pretty good story. We're playing the Braves, run around third, two outs, we're down five to nothing. So it's the top of the ninth. We're on defense. And their guy lays down a bunt, gets an RBI, gets a hit, makes the game six to nothing now. So that's an un, that's more of that's an unwritten rule, right? Like you swing the bat, you're up five. We're not trying to pad stats. Get you know our third baseman's playing way back. Whatever. I get into like he as soon as he crosses first base, I'm playing second base. I'm in his face, yelling at him. Our manager comes out. He ends up getting tossed, yelling at him. It's like a benches clearing type thing. Um, and then three days later, I took my release from the Orioles and went to the Braves, and I was on the same team. So the same team I basically caused a little uh, a, a half benches clearing brawl. I was in the locker room, just sitting there, you know, bright and early, coming back from a, you know, I think it was All Star break. So I'm sitting there, I'm the first one in there, and just everybody that's walking in is like, "Oh, what's up?" I'm like, "Oh, hey guys, how's it going?" I mean, the manager, their manager, and their uh, third base coach brought me in the office, and they're like, "Look, we agree with you. Like everybody, everybody kind of agree with you. Like that's something you're not supposed to do." you know, up five, nothing, but like, we thought it was great. You know, I don't feel like you're out of place, but I felt a little out of place. <laughs> Definitely. But that's a, that's a situation where you can't punt. Like you, you can't give yourself a, an RBI single on that. You have to swing the bat. Yeah, I agree. In my makes opinion. Sense. Yeah. Cause you, it's, it's winning the game versus the intent of this is just to break up the no, no. That's, those are two different things. Yeah. Uh, how do you yeah, feel about for sure. home run stuff nowadays? Guys are pimping stuff. They added their own little flair. They watch it out of the box a little bit longer. I think my stipulation is as long as you round the bases at a at a respectable pace, I don't care what you do when you hit it. Like Sammy Sosa, every time he hit a home run that year, the those span of years he hit sixty. I mean, he hops like three big hops out of the bit out of the box. That's very flashy, but he ran the bases. Like, he ran around, touched home plate, whatever. It's the guys, I think, that hit it, pimp, flip their bat, and then take 30 seconds to round the bases as if, like, we're all going to sit here and watch that. Like, it's one thing to hit it, pimp it, and I'm sure pitchers are kind of like – I'm sure a lot of pitchers don't notice the pimp job because they watch the ball, like they turn and see the ball fly. That's but then when, you ha- then when you've got to watch him – jog at a snail's pace around the bases. I think that's when you're like turning the knife. 
it's one thing that it's one thing to stab the guy with the home run. It's another thing to turn a knife and, and really emphasize it. So I'm all for the, okay, pimp it, hit a home run, do whatever, bat flip it, but at least jog around the bases. Like give me a, give me a, a decent pace. That's my, that's my, uh, yeah. Well, com- comparing line. it to football, comparing it to football, where they seem to celebrate on every play, which I think is excessive and un- unnecessary. It's like, do you really celebrate after every sack, like every tackle? It seems unnecessary. But um, the football celebrations are not about the other team. Like they're clearly not about like rubbing it in that guy's face. It's just like the linemen are celebrating together that that they got a sack. Right. It's the wide yeah. receivers celebrating that he scored a touchdown. It's not like disrespecting you it's not like he's running and taunting them like i get there's a penalty for taunting now but they don't really seem like that's what they are they're just like a show of happiness or whatever and in baseball it's really become the same thing obviously there are times when you know you throw at a guy and later he hits a bomb off you and he pimps it down and there's clearly like a message which is fine if it was like a tit for tat i like it i like it but most of these today guys just hit the home run and they stand there for a second they watch it and they throw their bat and it's not really i mean it's just like the cancel culture on the web it's just like twitter as a pitcher if you let it offend you if you if you make it about you then it sure you get fired up but like madison bumgarner a couple weeks ago where he was chirping at everybody and throwing like meatballs down the middle of the plate it's like you just got to pitch better dude and stop worrying about the hitters right like it's not about you they're not they're not they're not out there to show up madison bumgarner they're just hitting dingers off madison bumgarner like yeah. What, do you want? Like, what are you going to do? A lot know. of these are situational, though, because if you're down 10 to 1 and you hit a solo shot and you pimp it, like, dude, drop your bat and run because you yeah. guys are getting your ass kicked. Like, there's, I, I mean, I they're agree. definitely situational. If it's tied and you hit the go-ahead home run and you want to flip your bat, cool. Like, I think the pace around the bases is a, is a staple. Like, if you're going to hit I a home agree. run, keep a decent pace. But if you're losing by a lot or you hit a home run that is meaningless to your team – there's no need to – it's not a me game. Like, it's really not an – it's not an, an individual game where, you know, you hit a good shot, like, in golf and you can celebrate it. Like, you're losing by a lot, dude. You got – your team is getting their ass kicked. Like, there's no need to put the guy behind you in jeopardy. Like, if the pitcher takes it the wrong way where he's going to wear one in the back, which is an unwritten rule that doesn't seem to get used as much is protecting your own players as pitchers. Uh I saw, I don't, I forget what it was. It was like a couple weeks ago where a guy got hit and he said something to the media. Like, yeah, I wish I would have been like one of my guys would have protected me. And like, basically if you get hit, you expect your pitcher to retaliate in some form and hit somebody on their team, not maliciously, but like, let them know like, Hey, we're going to protect our guys. And you're a pitcher. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've been in situations where guys in the dugout were like, somebody better protect me. Somebody better protect, you know, so-and-so after getting hit twice in a game or something. So I think uh, that's one that, uh, that's one that never gets brought up because it's violent, I guess it's more of a violent showing in the baseball field, but I'm all for the, you hit somebody, one of your guys gets hit. You hit my best player. Like your best player is going to get going to wear one at some point. Hammurabi's code. Hey, I got my, my picture. I got my, if, if you put me on the mound, I'll, I'll do it. I got great well, accuracy. Well, there is something to be said. I mean, this is a big, a greater philosophy, but in one of the books I read recently, they were talking about how back in the day, even for simple things, like you were held accountable. So I can't remember what time period this was in history, but if you're, if you're building a house from some, for someone and that house collapsed on them and it killed their son, your son was going to be killed in retribution. <laughs> what? Or if it was, it collapses and kills the owner, then you would be killed. Um, some serious attention to detail if you're making that, if you're building that house, right? Yes. Bobby, very. If, if you're building a house for me and I pay you 300 grand and I get to legally murder you if it collapses and kills all my family members, you're going to double check and dot all of your I's and dot all of your lowercase J's and you're going to cross all your T's. It's going to be a very well-built house. <laughs> There's no way I'm building a house if that's the rule. If that's the law, I'm not building a house. But I well, agree you, with that. You would, I don't figure, out to, you would figure out how to build it. I mean, houses don't fall down I don't disagree. very often. Yeah. I don't disagree with the, the eye for an eye type thing, though. 
there used to be a thing, I can't remember when, I feel like it was in Britain. I, I'd have to look it up in the book, but they said that when an uh, architect built the bridge, he would have to stay under the bridge for a couple of days after it was complete. <laughs> Just like, it's going to fall, bro. It's on you. Good luck. Good luck. That'd but, be so uh, scary. I'd be so nervous. So, I don't know. The, the, the tit for tat thing is, uh, is a legitimate deterrent if it's something serious. Like, if you hit my guy, I'm going to hit one of your guys. I mean, well, I think it holds a real guys thing. accountable. It holds guys accountable on your own team. Like, yeah, I don't want to get it for you, future... dude. Stop doing that. Stop doing that, Bobby. Yeah. I'm going to get hit. Yeah. That's, that's legitimate. Just like in college. That's very legitimate. If, if we showed up, I remember I did this once. I showed up, I didn't have my practice shirt when I was a freshman. Just tried to stuff it in my bag. And coach didn't make me run. He made everyone else on the team run. I had to watch him. Oh. It's a great punishment. It's a good punishment, though. That's a great yeah, punishment. Because you're begging them. They're like, just let me do it. Just let me run instead of them. They're like, nope. And you learn because they're all mad at you. And that's oh, the yeah. same thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's it's huge in a locker room where, you know, you got a pitcher who's who decides, like, oh, this kid, this guy showed me up a little bit, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dot the next hitter. And then – I mean, someone like Mike Trout, like, you know, he's the one that's going to get hit. Like if Mike Trout's on your team, like he's the one that's going to get hit. They're going to make it a point. If the situation calls for it, like, Hey, two outs, nobody on Mike Trout comes up. Like he steps in the box knowing like this SOB is going to get me hit. Like I'm going to get pegged and it's not fun. Like getting hit is even if they hit you in the ass in the buttocks, it's not fun. Like you, nobody wants to get pegged. So, and it's an uncomfortable because what if he doesn't peg you and he strikes you out because you're nervous about getting hit? So it's a bad at bat all around. Pitchers. So I think that covers pitchers. Yeah. So I think that covers all of it. Um, Interesting stuff. I, so I started listening to, as we transition here into plate appearance stuff, I started listening to another baseball book recently called the Bronx Zoo by Sparky Lyle. So I listened to Jim Bouton's book again. Ball four, which we talked about. I listened to Jim Bowden's autobiography, which I found interesting, but not great. Um, and then I, listened, I started listening to Bronx Sioux, which was written by Sparky Lyle, who was a manager in the Atlantic League. But Oh, yeah, won, legend. He, yeah, he won a Cy Young and pitched for the Yankees back in their heyday with, like, Goose Gossage and all those guys. Um, his book, I, meh, I, I returned it about six hours in. It was just like – just an old man like talking about stuff that happened in baseball, which was very different somehow from ball four, which was a guy talking about what happened in baseball, but just from a much different perspective. I don't know. It was, it was interesting, but it was just like, I've heard this before. It's just an old guy talking about how he pitched today and griping about certain players, but it just like had no, it just lacked a a character to it that Bowden's book did because Bowden stood for a lot of things and he had a lot of strong opinions and they were unique opinions back then, but anyway. And I so. like I like Sparky Lyle too. I mean, having having met him uh, and been around him for one season as a man, he was a manager emeritus. So he's always at the home game, shaking hands, signing autographs. Mm-hmm. Really good guy, really nice guy. Like always in a good mood. Um, I don't know how he I don't know how he would be as an author, but as a person, he's a really good guy. Yeah, it's hard to say what what it was that made it kind of flat for me. But I think part of it was just like, I don't know. With with Ball Four, he is constantly a champion of like player rights, of um, minority rights. Like he spoke out for his black teammates a lot. Um, and there was just like a different. He just had a very different point of view and pointing out lots of stuff that was wrong about the game and things that should systemically change in baseball. And none of that stuff was like part of. Uh, the Bronx Zoo. So I don't know. It just was like, I could listen to play by play of this 78 season or not, like, you know, either way, but ball four was like a, <laughs> was like a real, I don't know, more of a, I don't know could how be to the describe author. it, but it was different. Could be the, uh, what do they call, what do they call the guy that writes the book for someone like an auto, not like ghost write writer. somebody's autobiography. Go, maybe it could have been the ghost writer, bad ghost writer. Well, yeah. Couldn't couldn't entertain it. Yeah. Well, and Jim Bouton's book was co-written. Like, he wrote a good amount of it, but he had a co-editor named Lenny Schechter. So they were close friends. Lenny Schechter was a reporter. They became friends from him 
coming in the clubhouse and interviewing people. Uh, so they did the book together, but more of it was written by Bowden and it was like shaped and edited and like made into a whole by Schechter. Whereas uh, that was probably not as much the case with, with the Bronx Zoo. It was probably more of like actually ghostwriting it. And speaking of which, I have a somewhat pending tentative ghostwriting thing. Really? Yeah. For my book, for my autobiography? Uh, I don't think you'd be able to pay me enough. I couldn't. Not, not no. even close. It's a big, it's a big undertaking. But it's uh, for, or for a friend. And uh, so that's maybe going to happen sometime in the future. He's currently audioing all of his life stories so that I have them. Really? Mm-hmm. So it'll be really interesting yeah. if, that, if that continues to come to fruition. Cause he's just in that stage now where we got to like see what, what he's got. And then I would sort through it and write it. So you're really yeah. taking on a lot of odd jobs nowadays, Dan. <laughs> well, that's podcasting and- for an aerospace company, right? Aeros, Aeros, aerospace company, web design, the best baseball podcast on the web. Then our podcast Lots of things. I'm starting to get more clinic inquiries. So I got a couple couple clinic inquiries inquiries recently for softball. So see if some of those get going again when uh, and then I'll obviously put on my own as well. But you've put you've become bit. the you've become the face of online softball coaching. No longer are you no no longer are you a baseball pitching guy. You are the face of online softball coaching. Well, the softball industry for the throwing, there's one other guy who does throwing. I'm not going to mention his name because he's a huge dickhead. He's a huge dickhead. Um, so I'm the other one that does it, but I'm the only one that actually puts out content. So I actually have lots of YouTube videos for softball throwing mechanics, which is something that's just like systemically never been taught well. I mean, they just taught the wrist flips and the things and all the new baseball science of pitching mechanics, which has come a long way, has not trickled down into softball. It just hasn't. Right. And so everyone's still teaching the drills they learned as a young kid or whatever, when they were coaching or playing, whatever. So even high level players in, in D one softball throw terribly. Many of them throw terribly, but the field's so small, you get away with it. You don't get away with it in baseball. That's the fundamental difference. If you don't learn to throw properly, you will never play shortstop at even a varsity level. Certainly not in college, certainly not in college, certainly not in pro ball, but there's uh, division one players playing third base terrible throwing mechanics but they're like physical girls so they can like still get over to first base at 55 miles per hour and that's good enough to do the job essentially but obviously if you're through 65 you can make a lot more plays even at the d1 level so it's a really interesting thing it's just like it just has not trickled down and no one puts out stuff on the web except for me um so that's kind of where we're at i don't know it's just a, a niche that needed to be filled so but it's nice to help people because that's something that's, it's like very rudimentary that can help people a lot. That's why I like doing it. Because softball girls have a lot to gain. There's lots of them who are like, I can only play second base. I wish I could throw better. I can only play second base. I would love to play the left side of the infield or the outfield, but they can't because they don't have the arm and no one knows how to teach their mechanics. So it's just like a, see them change a lot as players and they get so much more out of, their, out of the experience when they can play other positions because now they have an arm to make a throw from shortstop or make a throw from the outfield. So it's fundamental. It's funny you say that because the, so the last few weeks I, I move our, our teams, my youth program is moving into a new facility um, in Rosemont, Rosemont dome. It's right next to the Chicago bandits uh, softball team, which is there's only four NPF national pro fast pitch teams in the U S and the bandits have been like an inaugural team, whatever. Yeah. But this year they're doing like a bubble league. Uh, I think it's called athletes unlimited AU. Um, so a lot of the girls were there working out before the league, the league actually started yesterday, I think was opening day. Um, but you had a lot of girls there working out like professional softball players. It's like a pool of 60 girls and they draft teams and they just play like this bubble league, essentially four teams, whatever. Uh, and it's funny you say that because some of these girls are really, really good athletes. Like you could just tell when you watch them throw. I mean, they just look like straight athletes. And then some of them's throwing mechanics. It's unorthodox to say the least. It's like, it's like not a very strong, uh, 
like I'm trying to decipher like what positions these micro these girls might play as I'm I was basically putting my weight room together. So I was right by the batting cages. So you watch the girls like some of the girls warming up on the side, like down the line, and you see some of the girls swinging the bat, and some of them are hitting the ball real hard. And it's fun, it's fun to watch softball because there's different philosophies on softball hitting. Like if you're a slap hitter, you got some speed, and then there's the girls that have some power. But then you're I watch them like do a little bit of defensive practice, and like you said, the th- it's a wide range of throwing mechanics, and you really don't get that. Uh, with baseball, like if you want 99% of the guys in the big leagues, like the best players in the world have good throwing mechanics and very strong arms. Mm-hmm. Like with the saw, I, w- I wouldn't say that percentage is nearly the same. I mean, if there were 15 girls working out, I can picture three or four that had mechanics that were like, like I w- was drawn to their mechanics cause it was unorthodox. So it's just, it's, you're probably right. I mean, like if that's a professional level, right? Like 60 of the best players in the world, Kat Osterman's in the league, like girls that you would recognize from the Olympic team. It's probably very rampant throughout college baseball and definitely youth, youth softball. I'm sorry, college softball and youth soft, youth softball, like bad mechanics. Well, it has to get better at the higher level, I'm sure. But I, I saw some like mid tier D1 games, mid and lower tier here in the Northern Virginia area. And those are, you know, like a team like Georgetown, just any of those teams that are probably like 150 RPI, 200 RPI, something like that. And yeah. half, the, half the team has what you'd say were, like, were mechanics that they could not play D1 baseball if they were a boy, essentially. I, I think that's a decent analogy. Like they, sure. they wouldn't be able to play with those mechanics. It wouldn't work. But they work at the softball field because it's, it's just so much smaller. But it's about half. I mean, really half a more like major glaring throwing flaws at the d1 level but just they're physical yeah, enough just, and, and and of course the more key positions like the shortstop not as much like third base they're getting the ball so so close to it's not a long throw like it is in baseball but they're charged up so much and it's often are like in their glove really fast obviously second right. baseman outfielders have better arms but you know catcher catcher first third and second pretty consistently very iffy arms and you wouldn't think as much about catcher, but catcher too. Yeah. And then outfield yeah, is kind I, of a iffy. Yeah. It's, it was interesting that you say that now I'm thinking back watching these perfect. I mean, these are the 60, probably the top 100 softball players in the world all in one spot. And I saw, like I said, 12 to 15 of them working out daily. And there were some noticeable like arm, you know, glit hitches, there's just some some just looked like they they weren't fluid enough to the, like how you think they would be. Yeah. Well, and and the th- and the big thing that I talk about that no one talks about on the web is that so- at sidearm should be the number one throwing method in the infield for softball players. Like so- like sidearm, just like it is in baseball. Like sidearm is like the default throw for an infielder in baseball. You know, when you're in college yeah. or pros, like why would you throw it over the top when you've got it and you've got plenty of time? You're going to throw it sidearm. Or if you have a short throw, that's the quicker one, right? It's in your hand, it's out. And if you're charging it, it has to be sidearm or, or below sidearm. And softball yeah. is everything is fast. So fast is not get it and go over top because you can't do that. And if you're charging it, you can't get your shoulder tilt to actually throw over the top. That's why no one throws over the top when they're running. You can't actually tilt your shoulders. So that's why no matter – even if you're running slow, they always throw sidearm or below. Um, but almost no girls throw sidearm in softball either as infielders which is really strange it's because they don't teach it they think it's ineffective like all the like again this is like the history of softball coaching it's like sidearm is some devil that only it seems like the highest levels they get taught it very well everywhere yeah. else younger they're like don't uh, sidearm's not good it's like they throw a wild so yeah they throw wildly because they don't get taught it and they don't practice it like everything's bad if you don't practice it so yeah, no that's doubt. the thing that I think that makes the most sense for the sport to change. Like softball, if every infielder learned to throw a sidearm, it would fit the game much more because it's a game of short throws. So even in the outfield, because when you charge the ball as an outfielder, you're often getting it pretty close to the infield. Where then you have to like throw a second instead of third. You're like, uh, here you go. Anyway, so let's uh, let's transition. Um, you want to talk about seeing pitches per plate appearance? You said the Cubs. Uh, had something going on. Why don't you fill us in a little bit? 
Yeah, so the, uh, I had a dad send me an article talking about the Cubs, how the Cubs are seeing, I think it was like 4.22 pitches per plate appearance. I'm not sure if it was this year or last year. Um, he was just kind of, he was kind of asking like, how important is that? Uh, like it didn't seem to make a difference with the team last year. They just struggled hitting all around. Like, so what is, what is difference if they see four pitches in it and at bat one, 10, like if you're struggling hitting, you're struggling hitting. Um, and I, I also think it's a, it's probably an overrated stat as how many pitches somebody sees, but does it like, I don't know if it, cor- it doesn't correlate to being a good hitter, seeing a lot of pitches. It just, it could correlate to being a patient hitter. It could correlate to being uh, like a, a pesky hitter where you're fouling balls off, but I don't necessarily think it correlates to being a good hitter. I think this is what this dad was asking. Like how important is seeing pitches in an at bat? And I think at the professional level, it's probably more important strategically to see a few pitches um, based on where you hit in the lineup, based on, you know, what you know about the pitcher, but at the youth level, like college, high school, I think you have to, as, as a hitter, who's, who's younger, who probably doesn't have the back control and the, and the experience of seeing breaking pitches or pitches of slower speeds. I think you seeing pitches is totally overrated. If you get a good pitch, your first, the first pitch of your at bat, like that's the one you need to take and, you know, put a good swing on. So I, I'm not sure what I hit. I'm not sure if it correlates to being a good hitter, but I think at the younger levels, being aggressive early in the count and not getting as deep in the count is more beneficial as a hitter. And I would, I always emphasize like, look, you'd be ready to hit the first pitch because the first pitch might be the best one you see. And usually you see, I mean, you teach a lot of young, young pitchers. I mean, there's a lot of guys that will get ahead first pitch fastball and then go right to off speed stuff for the majority of the rest of that bat. So this was coming from high school dad. And my, my point to him was that I'm not emphasizing seeing pitches to him until he's comfortable hitting all types of pitches, which high school kids usually are not. They're not, they're not comfortable hitting curveballs, sliders, changeups. So I don't know, but when you had your academy, did you guys emphasize seeing pitches? Was there, was there, is that ever talked about? I mean, it was talked about a little bit in pro ball, but not as much as maybe it's emphasized now. We talk about that walks are valuable. They're as valuable as getting a single and being on base is the number one thing you can do to help your team. So the most valuable thing you can do essentially from like a run expectancy, like perspective is not making out. It's the best thing you can do. It doesn't matter what you do. Just don't make an out is the best thing to help your team score. So if that's a walk, so be it. So we emphasize being selective and getting your pitch to drive. But the caveat is if the first pitch is right down the middle, hit it. Like you got to just know what your pitch is and then get it. So really it's just like anything else. You're just like hunting for like if you're digging in a sandbox and you know that there's like six different little items, like little treasures in your sandbox and you know, you want the car. Well, just if you take one scoop and the car's there, you're done. You don't want the other ones. If you have to scoop up all the other ones first and the cars last, so be it. You know, it's kind of the same thing. You know, so I wrote an article about should you swing at the first pitch because I think in the dugout sometimes teams get rah rah, and this was a talking point with me one day. The guy, one of the our players was coming in like the third inning. He's like, "Let's go, guys! Like he's throwing, he's getting ahead early. We got to swing early. We got to like get ready to swing on that first pitch." I'm like. Why? Why get ready to swing on the first pitch? You have no idea if it'll be a ball or strike. No idea. And if it is a strike, you don't know if it'll be your strike. Maybe it's on the outer corner. Maybe it's on the inside. Like, you don't know until you see the pitch. So don't, like, make an assumption that you're going to swing at the first pitch. If you assume that you're going to swing at the first pitch, what does a hitter do? They just end up being on their front foot because they're ready to swing at it no matter where it is. They overcommit to it. So I don't know. What's your take on that idea? I think the hitter's mentality is, yes, yeah, like I'm swinging, swinging, swinging until I recognize the pitch. Agree. Is not a, a, not a hitter's pitch. So I know what you're saying. It came off as like, don't be ready to swing. Like, I think you need to be anticipating, like, I'm swinging at every pitch regardless of, uh, regardless of where it is. And then once I recognize it, I choose to take or I choose to let, give my swing off. Um, but I think the like when you when you emphasize like we need to see more pitches, we need to you know we need to get deeper in counts. 
the the first sentiment for a younger player is okay i'm just going to start taking pitches and then if the guy isn't uh, is on his game he's going to be 0102 to every single guy and then it becomes nearly impossible to string together hits or have good innings when the pitcher just keeps getting ahead like statistically numbers wise 01 is is tougher to hit than 10 like or 0002 is a really tough you know 12 is a tough count when you're behind in the count, it's tougher to hit. And when you tell a kid like, Hey, you need to see more pitches. Like I need you to see more pitches. Like I need you to see and swing at better pitches. I don't need you to necessarily yeah. see more pitches. Exactly. Cause you don't want the yeah. kid to then take a pitch on the outer half that he could drive. That's the problem. Right. It becomes a, it becomes a, a loose interpretation for them of like, Oh, coach wants me to take stuff. So you take the first pitch right down the dick. And then you're like, was that good? Like, no, like at any time, at any time, including three L, if it's right down the middle, maybe you should swing. So yeah, I think that I think it just it becomes difficult. That's what I just stressed to them was like, look, if you get your pitch, like what is your pitch? Okay, inner half. If you get your inner half fastball, doesn't matter what count it is, don't miss it. Be ready to drive it. Be ready to hit it. But yeah, like the whole idea of like I want you to take pitches, it just really just hopefully means be selective and don't swing anything borderline. If you're going to take a fastball for a strike, make sure it's the outer third fastball. You probably couldn't hit that hard. Like take that one. That's okay. Don't take the one that's right down the middle. Don't take the one that's outer half or inner half. Like put a good swing on those, but take anything that's on the peripheral of the plate or that's a borderline ball. And that's the problem that kids get into is they swing at borderline pitches that they just get themselves out on. And that's that's confusing confusing to a kid right because like say see more pitches means i need to take pitches so i can see them it's like they're not going to interpret that as like it's okay to swing early if it's good you need to tell them that like you need to be very literal with how you're emphasizing like approach when you're hitting and the first step is kind of identifying what a good approach is you know what are the pitches we're looking for fastball almost a hundred percent of the time okay, we're looking for a fastball. We're looking for an outer half, outer, you know, outer two thirds. We're just, we're taking the inner third. We're, we're attacking everything else. So like set your eyes there. But if I'm telling a kid like, Hey, we need to see more pitches. Like this guy just had a four pitch inning. Well, he threw four balls right over the plate. Like we just didn't get hits or do we swing at four balls in the dirt and, you know, ground back to the pitcher. Like there's a difference. There's a, there's a definitely a fundamental difference in how you see pitches in a game. And at the big league level, there's scouting reports, there's percentages. Like Kyle Hendricks starts starts righties off with 40% changeups. Like, so sit on a changeup. Like, if you get it, take a good hack at it. You know, if you don't get if you don't get it, we're gonna take it. Whereas in the youth level, we're looking for a fastball, hopefully over the fat part of the plate, swing at it. Like it's a different mindset. So you can't really just tell a kid, hey, I need you to see more pitches up there with that mindset because they're gonna they're just not gonna know what to do they're gonna end up striking out or walking if the guy's wild yeah it's really just like understanding what it looks like what the trajectory is out of a pitcher's hand that results in a pitch that's borderline and the best hitters are better at taking the ones that out of the hand looks like it's gonna be a borderline ball strike because they don't want to hit that anyway they don't want to hit it because they're gonna get out so they're gonna take it so as soon as they identify that pitch is gonna be a borderline strike they take and now they're not swinging anything on the edges where the pitcher's at the advantage. And then because they don't swing at those, some, a larger percentage of those are going to go for balls. So now they're seeing more pitches and they're not swinging at bad pitches. So that's a double whammy of improving their odds of getting a hit. And that's right. I think, what people go for. Like Joey Votto is not swinging on pitches on the, on the black unless it's two strikes and he's going to try to foul it off. You know, he's not swinging at a pitch on the black on the first pitch, like ever. And right. neither is Mike Trout. He's a very good – no, they're very good hitters as opposed to someone who's a very good swinger, where if you throw something in their swing, like they're, they're going to probably do a lot more damage to the pitch than maybe a Joey Votto, but Joey Votto is such a, such a better hitter that he's going to do damage on more pitches. Okay. Interesting. So let's, let's finish with hey, your, your weird great. state, your weird statement on Twitter. You had some, I didn't even understand what you're talking about. It felt like a ramble to which, me. Which weird statement are you talking about? Uh, I have so many. The weird statement that 
What did you say? Something about being a baseball right, player. Said, read, read your own tweet. Oh, where I said – well, I can't pull it up on my phone right now, but I said, I said, at what point is being a good baseball pay, player – like, where does that rank as far as uh, being recruited by, you know, Kyle, as a college coach? Um, my overall point was that we don't emphasize being good at the game of baseball, like so many of the nuances of baseball, like – I, it came from a discussion I was having with a coach of mine where our, we were talking about our 17, our 17 new team, excuse me, our 16 new team, who's probably doesn't have like a top end division one talent on the team, but they, they were very good baseball players. All the kids knew where they were supposed to be on the field. Like the, like when you watch a pregame with them, it's very crisp. Like everything is, everything is fluid. They just don't have like the top, you know, 88 to 90 arm. They don't have the guy that runs a six, five. They don't have the guy in batting practice that hits the ball 400 feet. So my point was like showcases. And this has kind of been a big thing on Twitter amongst the, the Jeff Fry, she movement. It's like you pay a lot for showcases to showcase individual tools and talent, but nobody like there is no way to showcase being a really good baseball player. And I had a conversation with, Last week I did one-on-one meetings with coaches or not coaches, my players. I was what talking to the, I was talking to the wrong mic the whole day. Damn. Just, That's okay. uh, I heard you good guy on uh, YouTube just pointed it out. Dang it. But I okay, was, well, better, better sound now. Sorry. Continue on. No, say I had a conversation with one of my 17 new pitchers who was, he was like six and one this summer with like a sub one ERA but he's, he asked me if he should do a showcase. And then before I could respond to him, he goes, I'm not really a showcase pitcher. He's like, they're going to look at me and I throw, he's like 80, 82. He's like, I'm not going to stand out at a showcase. He's like, I'm more, I stand out more like when you watch me in the game. And I, and I agreed with him. I said, you like, he's a very good pitcher, but being a very good pitcher necessarily doesn't get you to the le- next level that maybe you should go to or the next level that you aspire to go to because it's a lot of what how good is your individual tool like there's a lot of guys we play with that have really good tools that are terrible baseball players just instinctually fundamentally bad baseball players so my overall tweet was just kind of kind of just throwing the question out to anyone that follows or, or reads anything that I would tweet out is like at what point is being a good baseball player like factor into when you're recruiting someone mainly at the division one level, because there's plenty of good baseball players at a lower level that would take a division one player's spot with lesser tools. Uh, I don't know that I have a, a good answer for that, but I don't know. I think if you're putting like, a team together, you need a requisite, you need a requisite amount of tools, obviously like you're not going to be 80, 82 pitching in the sec. Like we all know that. Right. Um, there's a, a occasional outliers, but there's still, you know, like there's a basement, right? There's a floor for your tools. And I guess at what point do you factor in like the kid being a good baseball player? So like, if you're a, if you're a shortstop who runs a seven O and you hit 85 off the tee and you throw 85 across the diamond, but you're a, you know, you're a state champion, like you're a leadoff guy on the best team, like you are the leader of the team, but then you've got the shortstop who runs a six, five, throws 95, hits a hundred off the tee. Like that kid's clearly got better tools and bigger upside as a player, but he's a, he's a bad baseball player. Like he takes, he has bad at bats. He, he can't make routine plays. Like he's never in the proper position. He's not controlling the game as a shortstop. Like at what point, do you take the guy with the lesser tools who's a better baseball player? And I don't, I don't know if there's like a, like a, you know, if you're measuring tools, like if the guy is this far below and anyone that's watching can see me, I'm a little bit below my hands. Like, do you take the better, do you take the better baseball players is slightly lower? Like at what point where I'm going down on the totem pole of players, does being a good baseball player, not Trump just better tools overall. I don't know. I was just throwing it yeah. out there, and we were just BSing. Maybe they'll have maybe they'll have vaccines that help you become a better baseball player. Just a quick injection. That was a Dan. And that was a good. Dan tweet. 
Brooklyn was on her game though while you were on vacation. You leave Brooklyn she out was, of this. Leave her out of it. She this. was tweeting she was tweeting the hell out of the coach Dan Blewett Twitter handle. Um these are uncorroborated statements. This is fake news. Um well <laughs> thanks for listening. We are back here live on Friday. Um uh, maybe we have a guest, maybe we don't. It's a wild card. You never know. I- what more do you need? Uh, you come here to listen to us ramble about dumb, dumb crap, and this passes your time. So, Bob, this you're is the mo- best you're, baseball you're, podcast. So, you're moving to a new home next week. Is that right? Two weeks. Monday. Monday. How long do you anticipate the move taking? Do you guys have furniture picked the, out, or what are you doing? No, 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 no. There's no. I have. First of all, I have no say in furniture choices. Rightfully so, because mine would be secondhand. Hmm. Uh. We're doing some work that needs to be painted. Floors need to be done. There's all kinds of work that I'll need to be doing before we actually move in. So when, we, when you come to Chicago for our live podcast, Dan, from the Mag Mile on Michigan Avenue, uh, maybe I'll be in the house. Maybe I won't be. Probably won't be. Which is in the works. Which is in the works. We'll have some we'll – we'll get a guest from local. We'll get all – maybe we'll do it from like a looted store. So we'll do it from like a the burned out shell of like the Apple Store in in Michigan Avenue. Wouldn't that be lovely? We board it up. They're back. Board it up. All right, Bob, send us off, sir. Thanks for listening. We'll see everybody here on Friday, normal time, nine Eastern, eight Central. So be there.